The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope you have had a great morning so far. Um, this morning, we are going to be continuing in 1 Timothy. Uh, we're going to be continuing looking at the biblical qualifications for leaders, for elders, for pastors in the church, what God says about this. And last week, I'm going to show you this, but we covered a lot of ground. Look at that. Cut it off a little bit, but you see this. Uh, look at all of these qualifications. That's a lot. Paul, in two verses, looked at all of those, right? This morning is going to be completely opposite because where it took Paul two verses to cover that whole gamut, we're going to be in two verses looking at only one this morning, um, only, only one. And uh, our text this morning is going to be 1 Timothy 3, uh, verses 4 and 5, and normally uh, this would be the time that I would tell you, grab your Bibles and open with me there. Um, this morning, though, we're going to take a short pit stop first, all right? So if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? And before you turn with me to 1 Timothy, would you first turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, Matthew chapter 25, this text, my hope, my prayer is that it lays a bit of a foundation for us as we work through... 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. Um, we're going to be dropping into a large section of Jesus' teachings. So if you're here and you have a red letter Bible, red letter Bible meaning all of Jesus' specific words are red. If you have that Bible, you're going to notice we're dropping into a sea of red as we come into Matthew 25. Jesus here is teaching, um, and he's getting really close to his arrest. We're getting really close to his crucifixion, but here he's teaching. Um, and one of the tools that Jesus uses all the time to teach is something called parables. You know what a parable is? Parables are these crazy little stories that Jesus uses in his teaching that communicate a deeper message than what's on the surface. So it tells a story about a farmer, and you get a nugget of eternal truth about the kingdom of God. That's how parables work. Um, and, and it's often through these stories that God opens eyes in a really powerful way, because stories are powerful. Stories are incredible, uh, incredibly powerful. Um, but parables are a little different too, um, because what we see in Scripture is that for those who have the eyes to see, parables do this, and we see. We see things so clear, right? On the other side of, of the coin, though, for those who do not have eyes to see, these parables actually hide incredible truths in plain sight. It's crazy how Jesus does this. Um, you don't have to go with me here. I know we're in Matthew 25, but in Matthew 13, the disciples even asked Jesus, why on earth do you teach this way? Why do you use parables? Like, can you, why do you use parables? And Jesus here, I'll put it up here so you don't have to turn here, but Jesus answered them and says, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You're going to see that verbiage here in a little bit later. And then Jesus says this, this is why, he says, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, concealing. But blessed are your eyes, he says, for you see your ears, for they hear. So why, Jesus, do you teach in parables? Well, it's to bring the truth of God to those who have the eyes to see, while at the same time concealing the truth from those who have no desire and no eyes to see. That's why Jesus does this. And Jesus was an absolute master at parables, using these parables. And in 25, uh, Matthew 25, our, our, the text we're going to start with today, we're dropping into one of those parables. And I just want to work through it. This parable is Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. He's going to reveal a few principles that I want us to just hone in on before we get to 1 Timothy um, 3. So, uh, Let's look at Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Verse 14, he says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That's a key word. Will you say it with me? Say his property, his property. That was awful. Let's do it again. His property. Thank you. So key word, this is the master's property here master's property. And from this, he says, to one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So the master here is entrusting his property to his servants, and they are each giving different amounts for them to oversee and to manage, to steward. Um, But each one of them is giving something of the master's stuff to take care of. So let's see what happens. Um, He who had received the five talents, when it once traded them, made five more. Um, So also the one with two did the same thing. Um, But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. All right, let's see what happens here. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received five, let's start with him, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five here. I have made you five more. And then his master says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Servant number two, same thing. The one who had two talents came forth saying, Master, you delivered me two. Here I made you two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will now set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Servant one, servant two. What about servant number three? He also who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. 
Now, we won't have time to get into the reasoning of that statement. There's a lot here. Um, But here's the thing. What did the servant do with it? He did nothing. He literally buried it into the ground, um, and he did nothing with what the master had given him to steward. He did nothing. So, but his master answered him. Notice here we get a different response. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to at least invested my money with bankers, and at my coming, I, I would have received what was my own with interest. And so he goes on to take the talent from him and give it to the one who now has 10. For to everyone who has been given more, does this sound familiar? He will have an abundance. For the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's the exact wording of Matthew 13, repeated for us here. And cast the worthless service into outer darkness and in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, the point of this parable is not economics. Okay, Um, banking and high interest yielding accounts and where you bury your money in your yard. That's not what is in play here, not the point. I want to pull out two points here before we get to 1 Timothy. The first point is what I'm going to call the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship. Stewardship is understanding what belongs to God and understanding that the things God has given us are actually not ours to own. They are ours to manage, to steward, to take care of. That's the principle of stewardship. What God has given us, in other words, is his property. His property, we are his stewards, we are his managers. And as a steward, as a manager of his property, there will come a day when we will give an account for how we have stewarded what is his. And just like the parable, the issue is not how much we have been given. If you notice in the parable, the one who has been given two and the one who has been given five, they get the same exact response, don't they? Well done, good and faithful. The issue is not how much we have been given, but how faithful we have been given with what we have been given. And understanding, just like verse 19 of the parable says, after a long time, the master comes and he settles accounts with them. So church, the principle of stewardship reminds us that one day, on that day, we will give an account for how we have stewarded, how we have taken care of, how we have managed God's stuff. The things that God has placed in your hands. Your time your calendar, your resources, your money, your bank account, your things, your gifts, your abilities, your influence, your position, um, what we're even going to see today, even your family. That one day, you will give an account for how you have stewarded the things that God has placed in your hands. It's the principle of stewardship. Understanding your life is not your own and you're not the master. Jesus is the master. You are his steward. You are his manager. And one day, you're going to give an account. And and hear me, when I say this, that's not to scare you, because here's the coolest thing in the world. Your master's good. He's really good. Um, It's not to scare you. My point here is not to scare you. It's to just make sure that our perspective is right, That, that you're a steward, not the master. It's the master's property, and you are managing the master's stuff for the master's glory. That's the first principle, the principle of stewardship. 
leads me to the second. So with that in mind, coming back to it, leads me to the second. It's a, this is a big word. I debated whether or not to use this one because it has some weird connotations, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, this is probably a word you don't use often, uh, but the principle of subsidiarity. Uh, word of the day, right? So this word, this principle usually applies to government and governmental policies. And, and what it typically means is that there should be nothing done by larger, complex organizations that couldn't be done better by smaller, simpler organizations. So uh, in other words, in a government, the power is really in the smallest unit, okay? Um, it drives to the smallest unit. So, so in other words, to fix our nation, I'm still talking about government. We'll get how I'm, why I'm using this here in a second. But to fix our nation, we don't try to fix things at the top that's broken, we must focus on the smallest units from the ground up. To put it simply, healthy, strong families make healthy, strong communities. Healthy, strong communities make healthy, strong cities, which make healthy, strong states, which makes a healthy, strong nation. Okay, that's this principle in a nutshell. Um, and so what it, what it means is, is that the principle of subsidiarity reminds us that the smallest unit matters. In fact, it matters the most. In a church, we could also say healthy families make healthy churches. And healthy churches are not going to live and thrive and function and operate apart from healthy families. In other words, if you notice in the parable, what does the master say to the servants? He says, well done, good and faithful. Then what does he say? You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Doesn't say, you've been faithful over the big, now let's talk about the little. No, he says, you've been faithful over the little, now I'm going to set before you much. So faithfulness in the little is an essential requirement to faithfulness in the big. That's the principle of subsidiarity, okay? Faithfulness in the little is, essential, is an essential requirement to faithfulness in the big. So with these two principles, on this hand, you have the principle of stewardship, which means your life's not your own. Um, you are not the master. Christ is the master. You're a steward. You, you, uh, and on that day, you're going to give an account for how you managed and stewarded the stuff that he gave you. That's this on this hand. And on the other hand, the principle of subsidiarity, which says faithfulness in the little is an essential requirement to faithfulness in the big. With me so far. Kind of. Okay, that's good. So with that foundation, now would you turn with me to 1 Timothy um, chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. Last week, I put it on the screen already, um, but we, we saw the elders must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, uh, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So he just puts that all and then from that, he goes into our text that says this. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Look at that language, church. That's stewardship language. 
That's just like the parable that we read. He must manage, steward his household well because if he doesn't manage his own house, how will he care for, manage God's church, God's property? It's the same language here. Now, um, from this, just very clearly, this means, again, I'm gonna say this again, you're not your own, that you belong to Jesus. He is the master, you are his steward. Number two, though, I want you to understand, your family is not your own. They, they don't, you know, belong to you, so to speak. You don't own them. They are, they are Christ. They're a gift of the Lord to manage, to steward, to love, and to care for. I'm going to focus directly on our parents in the room right now. Um, you know this, parents, but as much as you might want to, you don't control your kids' behaviors, actions, decisions, choices. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? Um, you cannot make decisions for them. You can't, ultimately. They will grow, and they will make decisions for themselves. In other words, you don't own them. You manage them like a steward who will one day give an account. So first of all, you're not your own. Second of all, your family's not your own. But I want to highlight where Paul goes here in this text. Also, the church. The church is not anyone's to own. The church belongs to Jesus, and as a congregation, we belong to Jesus, and elders, leaders, pastors are placed in their role to be shepherds, stewards, managers of God's stuff. Just like in the parable that one day, elders, we may hear, we're going to give an account, and, and for how we've stewarded and how we've shepherded. I mean, this is the call of an elder. This is the call of a pastor. This is the wait, knowing that one day we will give an account. In fact, God's word says it very clearly in Hebrews 13, says this to the church, obey your leaders and submit to them. But then look at what happens next. For they, that are, those are elders, are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That is stewardship language. Elders, pastors are called to be stewards of the church, and how can they be faithful stewards of the church if they are not first faithful stewards of their houses? In other words, thinking back to our parable, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. How can they be faithful with much more when they are not first faithful in their house? Stewardship. It also leads to the second principle, that subsidiarity. Remember, faithfulness in the little, it's an essential requirement to faithfulness in the big. Healthy small things make healthy big things. Or to say it as Paul says in our text, how can someone manage his own household well if he can't care, or if he can't care for his own household well, how can he care for God's church? So I, I want to do this. Before we get into the complexities of this text and we start, your mind starts wondering and you, you start asking like, well, what about that situation? What about an elder that has that situation? And what about this? And what about that? Before we go there and even entertain those questions, I think it's so important that we see with absolute clarity what Paul is putting before us in this qualification of our text. I'm going to summarize it in two statements. I'm going to put them up here. And this, I believe, is the heart of this text and this qualification in our text. It is this. Elders are stewards and will give an account of how they steward what God has given them. Number one, and elders must demonstrate faithfulness in stewarding their house 
before they can be placed in a position of stewardship in the church. I think overall, if you boil down these two verses, these are, this is it. This is the heart of this text. This is what Paul is driving us to see. Elders are stewards, and faithfulness in the small things is a requirement for faithfulness in the big things. For the training ground, the most important training ground for someone who says, I aspire to be an elder. The most important training ground that God has given you is your home, and we cannot afford to ignore it or look past it. Um, In other words, do you want to know, do you want to see, church, if a potential elder will lead well in the church? Look at the way he leads in his home. The home is the proving ground. Now, I want to pull out a couple applications from this text, some callings from this text, and and each one of these, I think, are really important for us to begin to apply this. Um, First of all, uh, I want you you to hear me here. This is a call to elders and to the congregation, or dads. So elders, yes, and dads. Here's what I mean by this. Remember last week, there were a long list. In fact, I'll put them back up here. Look at that long list. Look at that long list. And I, and I remember talking about last week, like maybe some of you were reading that going, whoo, good thing I'm not an elder. Like that just is crazy, all this stuff. But then what we looked at is we looked at this. And what those are, the red ones, are just a few of the cross-references where God's word calls you to the very same things. Okay, so you to the very same thing. So these aren't um, the command to just elders. Um, In other words, elders don't have some higher list of like commands that they need to take care of that are beyond the simpler folks. No, 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 no. The call of of an elder is to simply live out the plain commands of Scripture, to follow Jesus publicly as they serve the congregation and serve to be an example. That's all it is. There's no, like, higher list of job requirements for some elite-level Christians. That's not what we're looking at here with these qualifications. Um, In some ways, it's exactly Paul's heart when... um, He says in 1 Corinthians, um, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's a powerful statement. Was Paul perfect? Nope, he was not. Uh, But Paul was living his life as an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Well, in many ways, that's the heart of an elder. As we look at this, I mean, the, the same is true in our text today. What God's word is doing right now is revealing God's heart and desire for the home. That the home would be a place of love, in order and respect. And whether or not you are an elder, the call is for the home to be a place of love, order, and respect. Men, whether or not you are an elder, your call is to lead your home with love, order, and respect. Your call is to manage, to steward your home well as one who will give an account. That is your call whether you are an elder or not. This is your primary calling. Not just the call of the pastors, not just the call of the elders. It's a call to you dads. 
And at the same time, for those of you who are elders, for those of you who are future elders, who aspire to be elders, listen, this is still your primary calling. With this, just like Paul, we're not going to be perfect. Whether or not you're an elder, pastor, listen, you are not perfect. You will fail from time to time. You're not going to lead and love the way you know you need to lead and love. And when you fail, church, we sang about his grace already, but his grace is sufficient. There is forgiveness in Jesus. See, faithful stewardship as a dad is not about perfection. Praise the Lord for that. It's about showing up. It's about walking with Jesus daily and trusting Jesus with your family. It's saying to your kids the scariest thing, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And when you fail, it is then modeling for your kids what it means to confess and repent. Dads, have you done that to your kids? You should. Um, I have found that kids learn so much from us in those moments of our own weakness. But this is a text a call to elders and to dads. So if we had, you know, managed the household, we could put in red Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3 or all of the countless Proverbs that talks about how we discipline our kids. We could put that all up there. But the call is to love and lead your home, men. This is your call, elders or not. Elders, the call is to love and lead your home. This is not, this call is yours and it's not optional. So you can't lead faithfully in the church if you're not leading faithfully in your home. But the second thing I want to bring out here is elders and kids. Okay, I am a pastor's kid. I'm an elder's kid. I have known so many pastor's kids in my day. I have three pastor kids of my own, and I have another one on the way. Listen, if we are not careful, we can put a weight on our kids that is not healthy or right. The weight of having to look perfect, to never act out. Don't you dare have a question. Don't you dare have a doubt. Makes me look bad. Makes dad look bad. I mean, it could cost me my job. Listen, when we put that kind of weight on our kids, most of the time one of two things are happen, and both of them are destructive. Number one is the kid will try to always look the part. Pretend like they're perfect and never have a doubt. And that is incredibly unhealthy for a kid growing up in the Lord. Or number two, a kid will say, you know what, forget this. I didn't ask for this weight. I'm going to just act out because I don't want any part of this. Sadly, that's become the more stereotypical PK response. Um, and again, that is really unhealthy for a kid growing up in the Lord. I want to remind us that in this text, it is the man, it is the dad that is being examined as the steward. It's the dad that's giving an account. It's the man that's being assessed on his ability to manage and steward his home well. Does the man love his family well? Does the man lead his family well? Does the man steward what God has placed in his hands, in his home? That's the question. Um, the number one most important thing in this is not 
you better look the part, kids. You better behave. You better not make me look bad. Because I want to be a leader in the church. And if you make me look bad, can't do that. Listen, the number one most important thing, dads, hear me, whether you're an elder pastor or not, is to love your kids regardless of the way they make you look. And to point them to Jesus in every way that you can. To point them to Jesus in their own walk with Jesus. And listen, you doing that faithfully is what qualifies you to lead in the church. Because pastoring is a lot like raising kids. Um, I asked how many parents know you can't control your kids. How many pastors know you can't control people in your church? You can't make decisions for them. They're going to make their own decisions. They're going to grow up. Um, it's, not, it, it's our job, in other words, to love the church and to point the church to Jesus and to steward whoever God places in our congregation. That's it. That's the call. Men, dads, don't try to offload the weight of stewardship onto your kids. Don't try to take the weight of leading and steward off of you and put it on your kids and say, my kids are just terrible. Don't do that. It's yours to wear. This is your weight to wear, men, dads. The weight of stewardship is yours. And I want to, with that, just bring up that the weight of discipleship is also yours. Parents, span this out. Parents, um, the pri- you are the primary disciple makers of your kids. You're not the only disciple makers, um, but you are the primary. Regardless of how old they are, when they're in their house, you're, they're in your house, you are the primary disciple maker of those in your house, and you cannot outsource that. Listen, we're here at a at a Christian school right now. We're meeting in a, in a, on the campus of a Christian school. For those of you who send your kids to Christian school, maybe you send them to this Christian school. Regardless, the Christian school is not the primary discipler of your kids. It never intended to be. There is no camp, there is no school, there is no program that can effectively do the job better than what God has given you to do. As parents, we will one day give an account, and it's your responsibility as stewards of your kids to manage your home for the glory of God. Along with that, you're also in a church right now, and I want to be very clear, very, very crystal clear. Um, No church can effectively do the job that God has given you in discipling your kids. As a church, we want to come alongside of you, yes. We want to equip you, yes. We want to give you tools. We want to create opportunities for great conversations. We want to also, when things get really hard, we want to come alongside of you. Praise God for that. But we cannot, as a church, we cannot afford to try to take the reins from your hands. Your children cannot afford that. We can't outsource the discipleship of our own kids. And if you're a parent... This is one of the hardest and most important tasks that you'll ever be given, and that is to steward well your kids, to point them to Jesus. This means, church, that the purpose of our children's ministry, which I pointed over there, they're actually not here. here. Um, The purpose of our children's ministry um, is not to take away discipleship from you, 
but to make you more effective disciple makers. That means that the purpose of our youth ministry is not to take away discipleship from you, but again, it's to come alongside you to make you more effective as a disciple maker in your home. With this, I want to highlight one thing, and this is really practical, really, really practical. Um, Ross is our children's and our youth director here at Stone Oak. His, his heart for ministry, his heart for your kids, his heart for you parents coming alongside of you, it's incredible. And one of my favorite things that he does, favorite things, is probably one of the least known things that he does. And he's so good at this. Um, he has a monthly parent resource that he sends out over email. And... Once a month, just once a month, he sends out an email with these resources covering a wide variety of incredible topics, timely topics. He's developed this library of tools and resources to help parents, I mean, just in general, but also specifically, how do we parent kids through the complexities of our culture today? I don't care how young you are, parents. The world is not the same as it was even seven years ago. We are dealing with things, and how do we do it? I mean, how do we? I am so grateful that Ross has combed through in a top, wide variety of, of topics. This is a gift. And over the last several years of Ross doing this, um, we have had parents that reach out, topics such as like gender or health or mental health or technology or so many, um, and we've been able to come alongside and help. Listen, your calling, your responsibility is to steward, but you don't need to be alone. Don't need to do it alone. So if you're not signed up for this, please do it. Uh, sign up for this now. Get signed up. Um, you're not going to be spammed or anything, I promise. This is just your name and email getting to get these resources. That's it. Um, and uh, it's, it's Ross's hope. It's our hope that we'll be able to come alongside of you in whatever age or stage your kid is in. Uh, one of the things that I love about this is it covers a wide variety of ages and stages. I think for a parent, the most difficult season of parenting is always the one you're currently in. <laughs> and this will just meet us where we are. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't, sign up for this. If for whatever reason you can't get it here, just come to me. I'll get you, I'll get you plugged in on that. Um, but I want to come back to this again. I want to say this again, that our text calls elders and dads to lead their homes for the glory of God, reveals the stewardship that we've been given, and on that day that we may hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay, now, I want to now shift, and I want to talk directly to our kids. I love this is the fifth Sunday service. I love it. Um, I love that some of our kids are here with us, and I want to show you a verse of Scripture. This morning, I know I've been talking a lot to your parents, I know, um, and that's great, and how they need to love you and lead you and, and just point you to Jesus, but I want to share a really simple verse that goes along with this text this morning. Um, this comes from Ephesians. Paul, same Paul that wrote the text that we've been looking at, is talking about the very same thing, and here, listen to what he says. First, I'm going to give you verse four, then we'll go backwards. Listen to this. Fathers. Don't provoke your kids to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction in the instruction of the Lord. That's what we've already been talking about, right? That this is the call of dads. And so, and so kids, you say, amen, right? Get them. Let me rewind a little bit and let's go to verse one. 
Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Then Paul quotes one of the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. I love that. That you may live long in the land. And now parents get to say amen to this, right? Listen, your, your um, kids, your, your parents' job is to love you and lead you and point you to Jesus. And you know this, they're not gonna be perfect. They are gonna mess up. They're gonna stumble. They're gonna say things. They're, gonna, they're not gonna be perfect. But their job is to love you and lead you. And you know what your job is? Your responsibility is to listen, to obey, and to follow their lead. That's your role in this. That is your role in this. That is what God is calling you to do this morning, to listen, to obey, and to follow their lead. And I got to tell you, just like they're not perfect, kids, you're not going to be perfect at this either. You're going to make mistakes. Hear me, we come back to this, that your job is to listen, obey, and to follow their lead. This is God's heart for the, the home. This is the baseline, the foundation of God's plan for the church and for those who lead it. For those who desire to lead in the church, faithfulness in the home is, is the proving ground for faithfulness in gospel ministry. So that, just as Jesus says in the parable to the servant, that we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. As we close this morning, I want to I make sure to repeat something again. Um, the Christian life is not about us being perfect. Okay, um, so that means dads, you're going to fail. You're going to sin. Moms, you are going to fail. Kids, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. Leaders, you're going to fail. Elders, pastors, you are going to fail. Brothers and sisters, we are not perfect, and the requirement for this life in Christ is not our perfection. Instead, the Bible tells us that we are being made perfect as God works in our lives. And the requirement for life in Jesus has already been met fully and completely through Jesus. And so life in Christ is grace. I'll say it again and again. Grace, grace, God's grace. Life in Christ is about our walk with Christ. And, and if you are here, and if you have failed, maybe as a dad, as a mom, as a child, as a leader, and maybe you're hearing all of these qualifications and you're just reminded right now, you're like, Pastor, thank you for reminding me of how much I stink. If that's you. Thank you for reminding me of all the ways that I blow it. I mean, reminding me of how I lost my temper as a dad, reminding me of how I lied to my parents, reminding me of how I didn't listen to them or failed to obey, whatever it is. Listen, I get the great joy as we finish this for today of telling you the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is grace. I get the joy of telling you like Paul, same Paul. I get to the joy of telling you, dads, that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. 
So like Paul, now we can all lay down the shame and we can say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me, 2 Corinthians 12. So when you see all these qualifications, we could look at them as a crippling weight, as a reminder of all the shame and all the ways that we have failed, or let me, let me put this before you, or, 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 we can look at this as God's roadmap for us and his plan for us moving forward. We can look at this as his way that he is generously, and we can walk in this and strive forward in this as we walk in grace. This is the plan for his people, his children, and his church, and this is the plan for the leaders of his church. And so, to close this out, elders are to be stewards who will give an account for the way they stewarded God's property, the church. And therefore, elders must demonstrate faithfulness in stewarding their houses before they can be placed in a position of stewardship in the church. So that we may hear, like our parable that we began with, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master.